This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. In Hammond, Indiana, just getting to school could mean risking your life. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. If you've ever been stuck at a railroad crossing waiting for a train to go by, you know that sometimes it can take forever for them to pass. But what would you do if the train just stopped moving altogether and just sat there, blocking railroad crossings for miles? Well, that's the situation in cities across the country, including in nearby Hammond, Indiana. And it's forcing kids to crawl under or climb through trains just to get to and from school. This is incredibly risky because those trains could start moving at any moment with little or no warning. eight-year-old girl killed last night has been identified. She and her nine-year-old brother had been ordered by their mother to go under a stop train, which was blocking their bus stop. To learn more, we're speaking with national investigative reporter Josie Sternman of Investigate TV. She covered this story in Hammond, Indiana, in collaboration with ProPublica. So you're based in Washington, D.C. Tell us how you learned about this issue. Well, the team at ProPublica and their transportation reporter, Topher Sanders, came to us specifically knowing about this problem and wanting to see a visual component to it. So they basically came with a great idea, pointed us toward a few towns that this was really problematic, and Hammond was the one that stuck out as being the largest problem. So our crew hit the ground running, went to Hammond a couple a couple weeks later, and essentially within just a few minutes of hitting the ground in Hammond and going to what the most problematic crossing was, we saw children climbing over, climbing under trains, and it was absolutely stunning to our crew. Wow. Tell us more about that and how long you, it had been going on. It's been going on for years, for decades. People in that community have been expressing concern about this problem, uh, you know, back for years and years. They've highlighted this to state authorities. They've filed lawsuits. They've complained about it locally. They've looked for solutions at every level. And it's just become a way of life for them. The kids in this community are used to it. Uh, They climb over the trains. They climb under them because they're stuck. We're talking about on the way to school, on the way home from school. It is just the most normalized behavior for them. We saw some cell phone videos before we ever actually went to Hammond. Mm -hmm. So we knew this practice was happening consistently. But once we got on the ground, within 15 seconds, we saw a kid pulling his bike with him. He was running late. I said to him, what are you going to do with this bike? And he said, I'm going over. And he went right through the middle of the train, hefting his bike over that crossing in the middle, you know, just delicately putting it down and then getting on and riding off to school. He had no other option. And that's just how they view it. Even with a bike. Unbelievable. Uh, These trains, right, they, they can get stopped anywhere from a couple of hours to days. Why are the trains stopped in the first place, Josie? So lots of reasons why the trains get stopped. There are, just like air traffic control, these trains have to be sort of routed in certain ways. 
So if there are clogs, as in the city of Chicago, which is the nation's busiest rail hub, there's going to be some traffic there, and trains are going to have to stop or be held at certain points. Also, there are maximum hours that crews can work. So if a train crew hits that time, just like a pilot, just like flight crews, they're going to have to stop working at that point, and it may be inconvenient. Um, in Hammond specifically, there's an intersection there where they actually need permission to move through, and because things are kind of clogged, it makes it really difficult. And as a result, the trains will sit four hours. The day we were there, we know that train sat for at least four hours, but we've heard that it sat for even longer than that, sometimes even days. And it happens across the country. Hammond is where we saw this problem happening. Mm-hmm. We know it's a huge problem in many communities across the country. Though. That's right. You know, I'm sure a lot of us, to your point earlier, we've been in the car getting stopped by a train. But What's happening here? This is more than just a minor inconvenience, right, that adds a few extra minutes to your commute. This is actually putting real people in Hammond at risk, especially children. Help us understand some of the risks and concerns for kids and their families. The risks are so clear. When you see the video, it's on our website, investigatetv.com. When you see the risks these kids are taking just as normal behavior, they are climbing under trains that could literally move at any minute. They are climbing over trains that could move at any minute. And, you know, we talked to a mom in the community, and she was talking about how these kids Their book bags could get caught. Their coats could get caught. This train could move at any point. Now, we were at the front of the train at one point. They did put on some warning lights when they eventually moved. We're told that a horn is supposed to sound at the front of the train to let people know they're moving. But these trains can be miles long. And if you're at a crossing that's miles down, are you going to hear that warning bell? I'd say the odds are pretty low. We never heard a warning bell from these trains. And if you're one of these kids, you're under the train. The whole idea of it is just crazy that they are putting themselves at risk. They could get caught on any of those pieces of metal. They could fall. They could get stuck on the equipment that's in there. It's just an absolutely terrifying idea, and it's something that they are doing day in, day out in Hammond and in other communities across the country. We've heard from other affiliates. Our company represents more than 100 TV stations. We pulled footage from many of them that had heard of this same problem. We're talking about Atlanta happening in Kansas. It happens in Texas where kids do this exact same thing. We've seen ring camera footage of kids crawling under trains from Texas as well. Mm. This is their only solution. If a train is three or four miles long and there's no separation in the cars, what are they supposed to do? And the solution is they go over, under, and through it, and it's an absolutely outrageous problem. Well, I want to hear a little bit from that mother and Hammond resident that you spoke with, uh, Keisha Henderson. Here she is uh, talking about how she's seen and, and documented students climbing over these stall trains and and making their way to school. I know they're used to it. I can tell. Because it's like they didn't hesitate to do it. They didn't pause and think. They're just like, okay, we're just going over. Like, it was nothing to them. Her book bag could have got caught. Her jacket could have got caught. The train could have started moving while she caught. Yeah. So uh, in the time that you were there, Josie, how many kids would you say that you saw crossing over? Dozens. 
uh, wow. we're talking about the morning bell here, you know, so uh, you watch the progression of the high school kids who show up first, the middle school kids who show up, and then the elementary school kids. So we were there by about 7 o'clock in the morning, which is the prime time for the high schoolers to get to school. We immediately see the kid with the bike. And then what happens next is you see the middle school kids. They, they show up, and they start crawling over as well. We saw parents that showed up at the crossing, drove up, and helped their kids cross over. And the most heartbreaking part was there's an apartment complex in Hammond right on the other side of the tracks that end up blocked very often. Mm. We watched a collection of kids and their parents just stand there wondering, is this train going to move before our kids have time to get to school, or are we going to have to make this decision again today? And they just sort of start piling up. They wait. They gave it about 15 minutes to see. And then, you know, there becomes a time where you have to make the decision for the day. Right. These kids have to go to school. And so they put them over the train, and off they go. A couple of them crawled under. Most of them went over. And then the most ironic part is just two blocks down the road, there is a crossing guard to make sure that those kids get into the elementary school. Interesting. So there's a crossing guard, but at the train itself, where they could be killed, where they could be hurt or maimed, where we know deaths have happened, uh, not necessarily in Hammond, but in other communities, they could be harmed. So we know they need help getting across the street, but we're going to allow them to climb over or under these trains just as a matter of doing business. Yeah. Well, other folks are affected by these trains here. I, I want to play another clip for you. I am talking about uh, police, paramedics, firefighters. They're all racing to respond to emergencies, right? And earlier this week, we talked with Mike Hull, who's the uh, president of Firefighters Union, Hammond, Hammond Local 556. Here's a little bit of what he had to say. Uh, I can remember a scenario where, where a woman uh, uh, passed away in, in a, a fire in her home and um, the first responding units made it there. Um, they reported that, you know, there's an actual fire. We possibly have a, a victim trapped and, you know, other, other responding units on their way in uh, were all stuck. They're all stuck, you know, waiting for a train. So, you know, it's scary to think that if you're in danger, that there is a possibility that emergency responders even can't get to you. Um, something else Mike said was, quote, not to downplay it, but I think we become callous to it. We see it so often that it's just an ex- expectation that there's a good chance we're going to get caught by a train, end quote. Josie, while you were in Hammond, did you get that sense as well that people were just so used to it? Absolutely. They have become so accustomed to it that it's normal. You know, people are used to seeing these kids crossing over and under. They are used to the emergency response being delayed. They've got a whole strategy planned out in Hammond in in how to try to respond. They deliberately put their 911 response where where the ambulances are, where the fire stations are, trying to combat this problem. That's how bad it is. And it's, it's, again, not just Hammond. Uh, Sylvia Garcia, the congresswoman from Houston, Texas, said in her district alone, the fire chief said that emergency responders were detoured as a result of blocked crossings more than 3,000 times just in the last few years. Mm. 3,000 times. And that's them coming to your house when you have a heart attack, when your house is on fire, as we've seen in Ohio. There's a, one of our affiliates had a house fire They were supposed to respond, and the response should have taken under a minute. It took them eight minutes. In that time, a house burned. That's the consequence Mm. of these blocked crossings. And it's being acknowledged across the country by attorneys general, specifically the one in Indiana is leading the charge, 
that something needs to be done because this is happening in part because there's some legal gray area about who's really in charge of dealing with these blocked crossings. Yeah. So you mentioned there uh, chatting with U.S. Representative Sylvia Garcia of Texas. You also spoke with uh, U.S. Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg. Uh, I found it interesting that in your conversation you asked the secretary whether it was going to take someone dying for people to start taking this seriously. I want to play his response. Well, it shouldn't come to that. It shouldn't require that. But what we have seen is that the the strongest uh, public reaction happens when it's too late for the person, people who are impacted. I mean, it shouldn't come to that, Josie. I mean, but it has. It already has. It has. It already has. Yes. We're aware of cases Uh, There's a baby who passed away in Texas as a result, uh, a lawsuit claims, uh, of a delayed emergency response. Uh, There have been tragedies that have occurred. Someone had a heart attack, couldn't get emergency response. So many of these communities, Hammond and others, uh, they end up essentially cut off from emergency response. And it does take that sort of public attention and public pressure Secretary Buttigieg was very clear that the industry is basically running the show here. And when there is public attention on these problems, whether we're talking about the situation in Ohio or the attention that this story from ProPublica and Investigate TV has generated, when there is public pressure, things can change when it comes to the railroad industry. Uh, And sometimes it does take a tragedy to bring that change about. But as soon as that public pressure stops, The railroad industry, according to the secretary, just begins reasserting its influence in Washington. Mm -hmm. And again, they get to have the say on what happens. Right. So you've talked about the fact that there's confusion about who actually has the power here to regulate these trains. So just so it's clear, Josie, it is states that are supposed to have power, but they don't. And neither does the federal government. Is that right? That's the most, yes, absolutely. I think that might be the most stunning thing to people is they assume that the federal government has oversight of the railroads, these blocked crossings. That is not the case at all. They have no legal authority at all. That's according to the secretary, his own words himself. The FRA would tell you as well. They cannot regulate these blocked crossings. They can't tell the trains to move. They really don't have the option to define them at all. This is a state issue. It has been for decades, uh, for almost 200 years at this point, the mm-hmm. states and the local governments have been the ones in charge here. So they put these laws on the books to try to police some of these problems. What happens is then there's a fight over it, and the decisions end up going in the direction of the railroads, and then it basically leaves those laws toothless. So right now there is a case out of Ohio that attorneys general from across the country, again, Indiana leading the charge here, Mm -hmm. uh, they've made a case to the Supreme Court to say, listen, you've got to take this up. we got to figure out who's really in charge here, how we handle this. And they've made the case saying that there have been deaths, injuries, emergency response that is delayed. And we need a decision once and for all for somebody to say who's in charge. And that's got to happen or Congress has to act. So Congresswoman Garcia has put this legislation out trying to give the FRA more authority while we wait to see what the courts will decide once and for all. They want to crack down on it. They want to know who's in charge and have an actual decision maker on the books. Well, another Hammond resident that we spoke with was Carlotta Blake King. Uh, She's a school board trustee for Hammond Schools. Now, on the flip side, she mentioned that she actually didn't realize that students were crossing under and over these stall trains. Let's listen. I don't 
I can't understand why anybody would, in the right mind, where's the corporate sense of community that would just allow a train to sit there endlessly, just endlessly, when you have a backup miles and miles, you know, and then they, they're never taking consideration uh, our ambulances and our police department that has a job to do that that in, that impacts that as well, right? So, I mean, to me, the trains are being a bully. But by the same token, cities have to have to have to act like you know David, you know David in the Bible, you know, nope, everybody said David couldn't do it, you know, couldn't go up against Goliath. So we're we're basically the cities are basically the David. These trains are the Goliath, but they can be taken down. And it's just about corporate community coming together, uh, putting aside what has happened in the past. Let's move forward because we have a whole future generation we're trying to protect. Yeah, Josie, I mean, as you said there, I mean, this is a, a state problem, but a lot of it falls on the rail companies and, and cities and, and city leaders need to do their part as well. Absolutely. And uh, I mean, I have to say in, in the situation in Hammond, it was a Norfolk Southern problem. But Norfolk Southern is not the only rail operator in the country that is dealing with blocked crossings and is responsible for blocked crossings. Um, in this case, as a result of our reporting in ProPublica and our partnership, we know that action is at least now moving forward for the first time in decades. I talked to Hammond's mayor. I know Topher Sanders, the reporter for ProPublica, has also spoken to the mayor. Mm -hmm. After our story went live, the mayor uh, basically got a phone call, we're told, from Norfolk Southern CEO saying he was bothered very much by what he saw in the video, and he wanted to help fix it. So they won't talk specifics at this point, but we know, as far as we're being told, they're working towards solutions. Okay. I don't think that they like this problem either. They know that there is the potential for kids to get hurt. They know the danger exists there. But at this moment, they're not taking steps uh, in terms of dealing with the problem overall. We're told that they try to minimize blocked crossings because it's not good for their business either, and mm -hmm. it's not good for the communities, but it's still happening and until they're compelled to act by Congress or by the courts, nothing significant is changing at this point. But Hammond at least looks like it is getting a solution. There at least appears to be good news, and we're hopeful for them that these kids are going to be protected. That's what we've been told. Well, listen, before I let you go, Josie, tell us, can we expect more stories about this? Absolutely. Absolutely. From us and from ProPublica, we have been dedicated to this story. I know they're dedicated to transportation and, and railroad transparency. Longer trains are a big issue. That plays a role in these blocked crossings as well. We're looking at that. We know that Secretary Buttigieg is putting out billions of dollars to try to get rid of these at-grade crossings. They're going to be giving out grants. We're going to look and see who gets them, make sure they use that money effectively. Uh, we're going to keep watching what happens in Hammond. We're going to monitor what happens in other cities and how it's being handled, because this is an important issue. It puts people's lives at risk, and it's exactly the reason why journalists are out here covering this to shine a spotlight on it. Great work. Josie Sturman is an investigative reporter with Investigate TV. Thank you so much.
This episode of Reset was produced by Micah Yason, and it was edited by Andrew Merriweather and Meha Ahmed. Get Reset in your feed every morning and afternoon by subscribing to our podcast. And if you prefer getting your news in your inbox, you can sign up for our newsletter at wbez.org slash reset. That's all for this episode. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We'll talk to you this afternoon. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.